country. Thailand's 95% Buddhist, it's about 4% Muslim, so less than half of 1% of anybody who even claims to be a Christian of any kind. And so our, our church in Thailand that we've been attending and working in and, and, stab, and working with is a, is a Thai church, all Thai, they, all, they speak only Thai, it runs about 100 people, and that's, a, that's like a mega church in Thailand. And so uh, we're excited to be back. It, like I said, it feels a little bit strange. I'll give you qu- just a quick update on what's been going on. I think I sent some pictures. I, don't, I sent them last minute. That's my fault, too. Um, okay. I think he has like five. He's going to flash them up there, and I'm going to talk about them. Here's how this goes. So we left here, and we get to Thailand. And you hear that I just told you that Thailand is 95% Buddhist. But the Buddhism in Thailand, you say, where's the Buddha there? Yeah, exactly. Um, you get to Thailand and you're like, um, I thought this was Buddhism, but it's, it's a special kind of Buddhism. It's kind of unique to Thailand. It's called a folk Buddhism. It's also in Cambodia there. And so it's, it's Buddhism mixed with animism. And so if you talk to the, if really what gov- governs their morality and kind of their idea about um, what they should do and how it's going to affect the afterlife, that's, that's Buddhism. That's the, that's the karma that they have. And then the reincarnation. So they understand that. But their day-to-day life is this. It is the spirits there for everything in every place, for every location, and they come by. You see that that stuff is, is new. It's not something, a lot of times you hear about a country and it's whatever the religious makeup of it is that you hear. And yeah, but nobody really practices it. But in Thailand, it is, to be Thai is to be Buddhist, this kind of Buddhist. And to be Buddhist is to be Thai. And so everybody is very active in the day-to-day, you see the red Fanta there. That's what that red drink is, where all the drink. They come and bring it by, and they add the flowers, and they pray to have a little bit of good luck. And they've already done that by that time. By, they come, by the time they come out there, they've already done that in their house. As they drive somewhere, if they have a car, they have a little shrine in their car. They do this on the corners as they walk by, and then they go to their business, and they have a shrine set up in their business. If it's a, I mean, if it's the National Bank of Thailand, there's one of these set, out, set up outside because... It is, this, it is this fear of spirits and hoping that these spirits aren't going to curse you. That's the first thing. When they want to build a building, that's the first thing that they build, um, to wake up the spirits that are living in that thing and say, okay, don't be mad at us. We made you a place to live. Um, so we, to, needless to say, um, landing on the other side of the world for us, it's a shock. It's different, and uh, it's about, probably about as different as you can get. Um, next picture. Um, then, along with the weird culture and stuff, I mean, the weird religion things that we're not used to is this. This was just a normal day on the way to school. I guess that's not a, on the way to language school, that is, but I guess it's not normal. But it felt normal because this is, a, this is, a pro, this is them overthrowing the government. That happened while we were there. They did this for like eight months straight, every day. And I'm just like this. This white guy in the middle of all this, like, oh, I'm not a part of this. Please don't hurt me. But they're, like, blowing the whistles, and that just happens, and they eventually overthrew the government, and it, and it sounds a little, probably a little bit crazier than it actually was, but it was just interesting time as we go through all that. Next picture. Um, then we, find, we learn the language. Do you have that picture of, the, of the, the, the Bible, I think? Can you throw that one up there? Um, to show you just kind of what the language is like. That's me preaching. It's probably my first sermon. There we go. There's Ty, if you're curious what the language looks like. Um, that's the book of Galatians, if you, don't, if you can't read it. <laughs> um, so learning Thai is 
difficult, I guess, but a bunch of people speak it, so I guess we could too. And so we went in there and we tried to learn. It's a, it's a tonal language, so you know Chinese is tonal. It makes it difficult, but Chinese only has four tones. We have five, so that makes it a little bit more interesting. We do have letters, though, so we're excited about those. I would rather, seriously, I'd rather have that than the characters. But I wish they'd have put some punctuation and some spaces between the words and, like, not made it so complicated. Um, it's, it's tough, but <laughs> y'all don't care or understand. I'm just up here complaining all by myself. <laughs> but uh, if you want to hear what it sounds like, um, like, that's Galatians, but I'll say... Um, John 3.16, for instance, would be, Did y'all get that? <laughs> Is there any Thai people here? Is there any Thai people here? Do you know that I was not really saying John 3.16? I'm, I'm just kidding. That was John 3.16. Um, so we learned the language and eventually we were able to preach. You already saw that picture. Are there any other pictures to be shown? Um, so yeah, that's, that's our living room. We're sitting there. We had, um, you know, going through language school is kind of strange because we showed up, we didn't know anybody. We don't know, we don't have any connections really. We knew, I mean, I'd talked to a few missionaries on the phone and they, like helped us, actually it didn't help us. I told somebody yesterday they helped us get us get home from the airport. They didn't even help us get home from the airport. <laughs> Those jerks. <laughs> but uh, we basically, we didn't know anybody. They're not jerks. I, we were fine. Um, and um, we, we got there. We didn't know anybody. We're just two strange people who didn't know how to talk to anybody or know anything about anything. And we just kind of got started. But as you go through language school, it's kind of a good opportunity just but it's kind of one-on-one with teachers. Everybody you're learning a language with, anybody who actually talks to you, they're doing you a real big favor because they're not doing it for them because you're not that interesting. You can't hardly say hardly anything. So as you learn, but as you learn to talk, you're able to meet more people and make more connections and um, be able to eventually have, start having people over to our house. I think that's not, uh, maybe there's another picture. Um, that's another time. I think that's the last time right before we came back to the States. Just a, just a few people that have gathered together um, with us um, and we're launched, like language school, not very exciting really. I mean, I'll, just, I'll just be honest with you. Language school in the first term of a missionary is doing just this boring work. Our prayer letters are like, yep, still learning language. Yep, learned another word. You want to hear some new grammar patterns? They're really interesting. Nope, you don't. So I'm like, yep, still learning language. I mean, it's not really all that exciting, I guess, but um, it's the necessary hard work foundational to be able to have, do anything in the country for the next 20, 30, 40 years. And so it's over, sort of. You're always learning language. Don't look at me like you're not done yet. You're still learning English too. Don't just don't look at me like that. So uh, we're going to be learning Thai from here till Kingdom Come. Um, but we're excited that we have a, a base to be able to stand up and preach and teach and make some contacts. And they come over and they listen to me um, tell them about Jesus, which they've never heard before. And I could tell you, it's the most exciting thing in the universe. Because, I mean, you hear a lot, there's a lot of countries in the world, and they have all differing degrees of knowledge about who Jesus is and the Bible and God and all this stuff. But in Thailand, it is like, it's on the, 
near the very bottom. When we tell people about Jesus and, and explain to them the Bible for the first time, they have never heard it before. They know about as much, as much about Jesus as you know about Buddha and Buddhism, which is, anybody want to tell us a lot about that? Anybody have more than three minutes to say about Buddhism? Probably not, but um, that's, that's what it's like in Thailand. So we go and we, we are telling them the very first thing, and it's, it's, it's awesome, because we tell them about a Savior who came and died for them and loves them and will save them. And I tell them that, and they're like, what? You're saying that wrong. Your language needs some work. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I'm, no, I'm saying that. I practice this one. Like, this is right. He really does love you, and he really will save you. And they're like, I had, they just, they really, they're like, no, he, you mean he helps you in your life, right? And I'm like, well, he does that too, but he saves you. He's like, he, so he helps you not do wrong and like try to do better so you get more, like good more points and you don't have to live, be reincarnated as many times, right? And I'm like, no, it's, he fixes all, it's done, it's finished, you are saved, you're rescued, it is complete. And they're, they're just blown away. And so it's awesome. It's a little, it's slow work um, because they've never heard it before. And everybody they know and everybody they've ever met is a Buddhist. And it is, um, it's extremely new to them. And so you're starting, like even, even places, people that go to a country that has a lot of Christian influence of one flavor or another, like they're going in. They already know the general public knows who Jesus is, knows what the Bible is. They're interested in talking about it. And you go in there and you say, let me try to explain this to you more perfectly. Um, they're like, what is that book? It's really thick. What's going on with all that? I don't understand any of that. And so we're starting like at negative four million and trying to explain a little bit, and just where so they can un- get the facts straight, and then we call them to faith and repentance in Christ. So if you'd pray for us, I was telling this to somebody last night, and they're like, I'm depressed just listening to you. That sounds <laughs> really confusing and really, what did you call it? You said, that sounds really frustrating, because they're also really real meek and mild people, and they're not going to like disagree with you very forcefully. They're just going to be like, and you're like, I, you don't know if they're agreeing with you or not. And you're like, well, I, if they show up tomorrow, I guess they agreed a little bit, or they're a little bit curious, but that's all you got to go on because they're very um, hard to read is what it's one way to say it. Um, but if you'd pray for us, I would um, greatly appreciate it. Um, I guess I'd, you can take that picture off. I'm tired of seeing my bald head. Um, the, the next step for us is we're going back January 11th. We just got back here, not, maybe not even two months ago, um, just for a quick furlough, try to lay, raise a little bit more support. Lori's sister's getting married. We're going to see the family real quick, and then we're going to go back and get a full four-year term in starting um, there in January. And so as soon as we land in January, um, since we got there, um, praise the Lord, um, some other missionaries have come to help us. Like I said, I got there, nobody was there. Since we got there, probably, um, when we started Deputation, we were at a church, and uh, there was a guy who was on staff at the church there. He said, I want to be a missionary in Thailand. I'm like, great, prove it. <laughs> and so he started Deputation, and he proved it, and now he's over there, he's working with us. We're excited to have him. Since then, there was another guy who came over there. He's there, and then there's three, two other missionaries that are on Deputation I'm starting to get over there. So we're excited about all the Lord is starting to do, and... Um, we're going back January, and we get there, uh, we are, we're finding a place. I didn't want to be paying rent this whole time on a, on a church building and things, but we're going to find a place to rent, we're going to rent it, we're going to do whatever it takes to 
I mean, just the bare bones of having a place for people to sit. And then we're going to start doing everything and anything we can to make as many contacts. And we're going to start teaching English, even though I don't want to. I, I don't want to be an English teacher. But I got to, because they all want to learn English. I'm like, well, you come. I'll talk to you. I got something to say, at least. And so um, we'll do that. And we're going to have, I got, we got some Thai friends. They want, they're going to help us teach music. Lori graduated with a design degree, like graphic design. So she's going to teach that. We're going to do anything we can to make as many contacts as we can. We're going to try to get them in there. And then probably three or so months of working that and developing those contacts, we're going to have our first church. And from then on out, we are, we're humming. And so... We're excited about that. We're scared about that. I have no idea what to expect. Literally, we could have 100 people. We could have zero people, I guess. Well, we'll have me and Lori and Claire and Grace. And, hey, I don't know why I did this, but I plan to have a baby on the first day of a church. That's like the dumbest thing you could ever do. <laughs> like, oh, it's the most stressful part of, of all missionary life, starting your very first church. It's the most difficult thing of all. Yeah, let's throw a baby in there too. That'll be good. Oh, man. But it'll, it was an accident. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> so I'll read a verse real quick and then we'll get in the message. This is not the message. I'm not preaching yet. Don't be confused. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2, it says, the, the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. So he's, that's kind of what a missionary feels like. Like, I can't even really talk right. I'm learning this language, and it's hard. And I came, that's not what he's talking about here, but that's what I've, I'm changing. I'm not changing. That's a bad I just, I just relate to him. Okay. I, it came not, but Paul, he's saying, it came not with excellency of speech, declaring unto you the testimony of our God. For I, I determined, I did it on purpose, in other words, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man wisdom, man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And um, when we, you know, think about missions and you think about stuff happening on the mission field and it's far away and it's a little bit confusing, you've never been over there, you don't really have a lot of hooks to hang it on in your mind, but you just, you just want to believe that just missions is like, you get up Benny Hinn style and you're like, wah, and like the crowd just washes over and falls down and it's just, boom, you know, awesome. Well, it's more like, not excellency of speech or wisdom and weakness and fear and trembling and speech and my preaching, not with enticing words of man wisdom. And that's what the demonstration of the Spirit is. He takes us who are just weak and feeble and mess up. He probably figured out I'm not all that impressive already. And we, he just, but he still uses our life. And the Spirit is the one who does the work. And the Spirit uses his word and a servant. I don't know why he chose to use us. But he did, and he put us somewhere in the equation. And so little old us go over there, and we try to learn a language that's really weird, and we try to speak as clearly as we can and explain to them as best we can, and they're all confused still. But the Spirit works, and he saves people, and he loves people through us. And he's, I believe he wants to build his church. He said, I will build my church. So we're going over there on a pretty good promise and so we're excited to be involved in what God is doing on the other side of the world. And so if you'd pray for us that the Spirit would use us 
and that we would be usable as we were over there. So um, I would ask if anybody has any questions, but there's too many of you, so <laughs> skip that part. Um, take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter number 11. Um, now, I don't know about you, um, but you can probably relate to me. Sometimes, you know, we're real excited about things, like, for instance, when some big church invites you to come preach to a bunch of people. You're like, yeah, I can make this sound really good, and like, this is exciting, and we're going to go, and we're going to just conquer the whole country of Thailand. We got it licked. Don't worry, just send me a little support, and I'll take care of it. You know, talk real big, but then there's other days when you're not so excited, and things aren't going quite as well as you would hope. And you don't, you're not full, like some days you're full of ideas and you just have all kinds of ideas and you're writing stuff down, you can't get it down, you're telling all your friends and you're talking about it and you're discussing it and you're just like the juices are flowing, you know, with me? And you're just, you're just full of energy and motivation and everything and then other days you're like, I don't know if I want to get out of bed today, I just think I'll just stay here, um, nobody knows really, so I just like hang out, nope, yeah, yeah, I quit. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> Y'all ever feel like that? You get a little bit discouraged and all these great plans and dreams that you had once upon a time, you're like, yeah, forget that. That, was, that sounds tiring. <laughs> um, but uh, when, we, when we look here in Hebrews chapter 11, um, we see some guys who did some great things for God. And um, I want to talk to us a little bit about some of the fuel that powers the things that we want to do for him. Um, usually when I hear a big, loud sermon or something, I'm like, eh, yeah, that's some good preaching. I'm, I'm encouraged, but then I know it's not going to last because I'm going to go home and I'm going to face the realities. And it's more, it takes more than a pep talk to endure the um, hardships of a life. Because if you're going to accomplish anything, it's going to take a lot of work. If you're going to accomplish anything, it's going to be, um, okay, I'm going to quote a great theologian, Seth Godin. Anybody know who that is? He calls it the dip. If you know, then great. If He's not a Christian. Okay, but he talks about, like, you start to work, and it, things start to go really good, but then there's, like, this big, long dip where it's just, you're just grunting it out. Nothing really exciting is happening, but you're just working really hard. And then, you know, after a lot of work and a lot of foundation is laid, then it starts to take off a little bit. Um, and it's that long, grueling process, whether it's, whether it's in your job, whether it's as a missionary, whether it's here in the church. I mean, no matter where it is, there is a lot of, every day is not exciting. Every day is not, woo Sometimes people try to make it sound like that, and they're just like big motivators and big pep talkers. And the reason we need those kind of people is because we need some motivation, because we get a lot, we get demotivated, and we get a little bit discouraged. Um, but so I want to, I want to focus on some guys because I think they got a little bit discouraged, and I think they understood some of this frustration. But the Bible calls them um, heroes here in Hebrews eleven. You've probably heard of it. It's called the the Hall of Faith. Um, it's talking about a bunch of guys who pleased God, who, who demonstrated their faith in such a way where God wrote them down as examples for us. 
And uh, I just want to look at their lives a little bit. Here's a few main header points about their lives. They please God. God. God calls them heroes. They were also weary. There was these brief moments of excitement in their life, and that's a lot of times what we um, remember. You know, like David and Goliath, we remember that story. But you know, David had a long life, and every day he wasn't killing Goliath and being welcomed home like, oh, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousand. Every day is not like that. There's a lot of ups and downs, but they were sustained by faith in God's promises, and they were noted here in this chapter for their risky steps of faith that they took. But um, let's, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6 is kind of the key verse. It's familiar to us, but let's read it together. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Okay, maybe a little illustration for us will help. Because it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Kind of faith's in its own category here. It's like, names one thing. So, um, if you were going to go, have you ever been skydiving? One? I'll just give you an opportunity to brag about that. Anybody else? <laughs> um, you know, I've never been skydiving. I, I would I think it would be awesome. But there's kind of some things that I would think. I've never done it. But I would think it would be essential to having a good day of skydiving. Um, I don't, goggles, they wear some funny goggles so you can see the ground flying at your face, I guess. So you can see everything clearly. They got this jumpsuit and you got these special shoes, I guess. You got to get your GoPro, you know. And so you can film yourself screaming like everybody else who also falls out of the sky. And you, what else do you need? You need a nice plane and a good instructor probably if it's your first time. Um, anything, any, what else do we need for skydiving? Am I forgetting anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's kind of one thing that's kind of in a category all by itself. Like, if you don't have this one thing, it doesn't matter if you have all the rest of the stuff. If you don't have the parachute, you're kind of, your skydiving, skydiving day is kind of ruined. You're not going to have a very good day of skydiving. Well, you might have one good day. You're not going to have two good days of skydiving. <laughs> So, I mean, the parachute is kind of where it, like, you make it or break it there on that, whether you have that parachute or not. And when we're talking about faith in the Bible, it's like, it's kind of like that. There's one thing that's, it's faith is in a category all by itself. There's a lot of other things that maybe enhance the Christian life and help us be better Christians and, and develop our, our maturity and our knowledge and our wisdom of God and all this kind of things, but but here in this chapter it says, without one thing, it is impossible to please him. And he calls that thing faith. And so we, when, when we're talking about pleasing God, there's, um, I think maybe this thing is so essential, it may, it may be a little bit different than you and I would assume at first glance. Um, but before I proceed, let me make one thing clear. When we're talking about faith, we are saved by grace through faith. It is, it is nothing more, nothing less. There's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. We believe in Jesus. We put our faith in Him. And Jesus is the one who paid the price for all of us. We can be saved because of Jesus. Nothing because of what we have done. I don't go and I say, I'm a missionary, so I should go to heaven. And I, I go to church and I preach and I read my Bible and I, and I do all these things. So, so you are pleased with me. No, God is pleased with us because of Jesus. He looks at us through Jesus, and that is our only merit. When we, we're in Thailand, that is a big deal for them. When they go to church, 
when they go to the temple, when they go to their church, they're not going to learn and to grow because they love Jesus. They're going because they want some points. They call it, I'm going to make merit. When they put all these offerings and things, they're like, okay, I did some wrong things. Let me go make some points to make up for it. And so they will offer their things, and they will, like, anything they do, there's a point system. Some guy made up a point system. One of those monks made up a point system. This is unrelated. You know what the worst thing you could do? Cut down a forest. That's like negative a million points. <laughs> I don't know why. But, um, I'm, but it's, we're not on a point system. We, are, we, believe, we, we trust in Jesus, but Jesus does all of the work to make us acceptable in the sight of our Father. And that's what makes the gospel good news. We're not giving out good advice. We're giving out good news. When we go to Thailand, I mean, uh, the Buddhist mindset, they, they have advice for everything in the world. Like, if there's a, a drowning person here, you know, the Buddhist way to say it is like, all right, let me read you a manual on swimming. Here's what you need to do. You need to paddle like this, keep your fingers together. I don't know how to swim. I mean, I do know how to swim, but whatever. What would a manual on swimming say? I don't know. You need to do this, and you need to do this, and then... But Jesus is the one who comes down and just rescues us, and he grabs us and pulls us out. And um, that's the difference between good news and good advice. And so I'm thankful that the gospel is Jesus rescuing us, Jesus saving us when we can do nothing. But then once we're saved, I think there's more to this faith. When, when the Bible's, when in this chapter we're talking about a bunch of saved people, and it's about a bunch of saved people who please God with their lives, who did things to demonstrate their faith and, and show that they are relying upon God's promises. And God says he's, that he's pleased with them. And so um, I, would, I would propose to you that this Hebrew, this faith talked about in Hebrews chapter 11 is more than believing in God and believing the Bible and having all the right kind of doctrine. I just want to set, let that set in for shock value. You're like, what? But I would, I would, it's not less than that. I'm not saying it's less than that. That's all foundational. We must place our faith in Jesus and Him alone for our salvation. We want Him to, we want to believe, we want to understand the Bible correctly, and we want to apply the Bible correctly, and we want to praise Him in spirit and in truth. And we want, all, we want to do everything right. Um, we want to know everything right, but there's a difference um, between the, I would say, if you read this chapter, we're not reading about a bunch of guys who are over here. Which had a chair to sit in. We're not reading about a bunch of guys who are just sitting over here and discussing theology and just talking about it and like, yeah. So, um, do you believe the virgin birth? Do you believe in? Um, you can name any kind of um, doctrine you want to say. Jesus came and he was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life and he died a perfect death. And he, was, he died and he rose again on the third day and now he sits on the right hand of the Father. Not the left hand, the right hand of the Father. And they, you can discuss, but there's a difference here where it is, there's something else in this verse. And there's a very important word here it says, for it is, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that believeth, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And then what's the next word? And. So there's another word there. It says, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's the kind of faith that is not, that moves 
it's, it's, let me start over. it's foundational to believe in God and the Bible, and, and this faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But those are, those are passive things, I could say. And, this is, and the, the common thread through all of these is these guys went from a passive faith of talking about it to an active faith of doing something with it. Not just saying I believe the Bible, but, but acting like you believe the Bible. Not just saying I believe in Jesus, but acting like we believe in Jesus. Not just saying all the right things, but then getting up and doing something about it. And so I would say the first thing, when, if we're going to understand what kind of faith pleases God, because I think all of us want to please God. We know that we're saved. It's not that we're, 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 we want to please God out of fear. Like, oh, if I don't make him happy, if I don't do all the right things, he's not going to like me, and he's going to strike down vengeance upon me. No, we are saved from wrath through him. But we still, we love him, and we are grateful to, his, to him for his grace and his goodness to us, and we just want to make him happy. Don't you? And so this kind of faith, it says, that, that pleases him. I think, first of all, it's an active faith. It's the kind of faith that takes that as a foundation and then gets out of the chair and does something with it. Um, the next verse says, where do I get this from? So if we, we diligently seek him, period. Next verse, for example, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with here, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And then verse 8, Abraham. And then verse 11, Sarah. Oh, but Abraham, what did he do? He went out, not knowing where he went. And Sarah received strength to have the child which he promised. And you could go through, in verse 20, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. And Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. And Moses, he was hid three months of his parents, hid Moses. And then Moses went and challenged Pharaoh. It's all these things of not just them knowing the right things and believing the right things, but then doing something, like actually stepping out and like, well, if God wasn't right about this, we're all done for. I'm done for. I'm just going to go out and try something. So it's, it's this active faith. It's the common denominator of all these stories of Hebrew. They went from this passive to this active faith because they weren't going to be content sitting around just believing all the right things. Um, secondly, it's a risky faith. It's the kind of faith that is willing to take risky steps to accomplish something for God's glory and God's work. Um, what kind of risky steps does God want you to take to be involved in reaching the world? Um, heroes, I mean, missionaries get lifted up as heroes sometimes because you don't know everything. Maybe y'all do. Y'all, y'all seem to have a higher understanding of missions than the majority of churches. But mostly people are, I mean, it's understandable. You live in America and you don't you don't get in contact with other countries all the time, so you're like, I'm not sure what you do. That sounds really cool. Y'all go do that. I'm for it. Yes, good. And you're like, I don't, it's crazy. Y'all just, because we come back and we show you weird pictures, and you're like, whoa, you live in that kind of place? It's just wild, man. Cool. And so missionaries, it's like this air of mystique, Um but some, there are some risky steps involved in going and leaving your family and leaving this side of the world that you're familiar with and just stepping over there and being like, I'm here. I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but here we go. I'm going to step out. There's no like guide. There's a guidebook for seeing Thailand. There's not really a guidebook for like starting churches in Thailand. And I don't know. I, there's a lot. There's so many unknowns. 
and it's, it's a little bit risky when you step out. But it is pushing the envelope a little bit farther. It is pushing the boundaries. It's taken the gospel to where it's never been before. And that's what God wants all of us to be involved in. He's called us to go to the regions beyond and take the gospel to where it's never been. And anybody who's never heard, we go and be involved in doing whatever it takes to break down those barriers and present the gospel to somebody where they can trust in Jesus and know him. And it's some risky steps. So it's got to be risky if you are Noah here in this chapter, and you spend 120 years of your life building this giant boat in your backyard. And all your friends around you are like, what are you doing, Noah? Oh, just investing 120 years of my life in building a boat? You Maybe you should do that in the ocean or something, maybe? I mean, can you imagine the ridicule and just the opinion of Noah in those days about what they thought about him doing this? Like, if God doesn't come through and do what he promised he was going to do, Noah's going to look really, really, he's going to look really foolish anyway. But one day it all came to fruition because God did what he was going to say, he was gonna, what he said he was going to do, and Noah and his family and this world was saved. It's got to be risky if you're Abraham and you decide to leave your family and your country and everything that you know about and, and head out into um, the unknown in search of a land that God promised you in a pre-Google world. You know, when, you, when we went to Thailand, we like, I'm going to Thailand. You know the first thing, place I went? Google. Thailand. What's that like? Google Maps. Street View. What's this like? You know, I want to see what everything is like. I want to talk, I want to call on Skype, and I'm going to talk to people who are there. Okay, so how do I get there? What's the best way to ship all my stuff? What's, what's the best language school to go to? I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out as much as I can. Abraham, God's like, go. He's like, where am I going? I'll tell you later. Just go. I mean, that's got to be risky to just step out. He didn't know about any camel jams on the way. <laughs> okay, that was my corny joke. <clears throat> um. So it's got, it's got to be risky if you're Abraham and you, and you fully intend on plunging a knife into your son. You think that might be a little bit risky? It's got to be risky if you're Moses and you go and you just take on the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and says, let my people go. I mean, I live in Thailand. I keep bringing that up. I, I guess it makes sense. Y'all know I'm here because I'm from Thailand. Or I live in Thailand. It's a constitutional monarchy. In other words, they have a king. And that king is absolute power. And in that country, if I write, for instance, if I write on Facebook, king looks a little funny today or anything. I mean, anything in the slightest way negative, I'm going to jail. I'm going to, like, prison. And not just for, like, you shouldn't have done that, you'll be out tomorrow. No, it's for years. Like, I will, and not, I'm not exempt as a foreigner. That's how it works in a place where there is an absolute ruler. And Moses going in and just challenging an absolute ruler and saying, let my people go. That's got to be risky. I mean, he knew what it was like over there in Egypt. That's probably why he didn't want to go over there on the mountain when God was trying to tell him to. But he, stood, he took a step of faith, but that's exactly why they needed faith. If you're never going to do anything risky, if you're never going to do anything outside of the norm or you don't know what's going to happen, what do you need faith for? You need faith for the times when you don't, you, you don't have it all figured out. All you have is a promise. And you don't know what else is going to happen. You, like, I mean, this stage, I know it's there. So, you know what? I didn't take a lot of faith to do that. It takes a lot more faith if I had some reason to believe I could walk on air. I mean, I gotta have, you have faith in the right thing. That's important, too. Um, but it takes faith to step out on something where you're not sure what's going to happen next. 
And so when we are talking about reaching the world with the gospel, there's the Christian life is taking is is a risky life. I'm not in the sense where um, well, some, in, throughout history it has been. There's, been. there's a lot of persecution that happens. I mean, you read a chapter like Hebrews 11 and everything's going great and they're letting their people go and they're reaching the land of promise and they're all this kind of stuff. But it's not all roses and peaches. Um, there is, um, there's risks. There's persecution. There's hardships. There's temptations. There's trials of, of cruel, cruel mockings and scourgings and, and bonds of imprisonment. And all. I mean, you've got to read the whole chapter. Um, but we, we are willing to take those risks and steps of faith because we know that we are basing it on a promise of God that is sure and steadfast. And no matter what happens, we step out and we trust Him. And I especially like David here. In the, he's mentioned in verse number 32. Um, I, I like David because there's no really clear command to take on Goliath. Some of these things, really clear. If you're Moses and you see a burning bush and God tells you, go do all this stuff, and Moses is like, eh, I don't know. And you have like this conversation with God and he explains all the details. He's like, okay, Aaron's going to go with you. You're going to go and you're going to talk to him a little while and then you're going to be back here and you're going to worship on this mountain. Like he just like, laid out the whole plan for him. And Moses is like, okay, fine, I'll try it. We'll, we'll be back in a little bit. So, so he went out. But David here, when it's talking about the story of like David and Goliath. Um, there's not this clear command. You, you know what David's clear command that day was? Take food to your brothers. And so David took off and he went over to the battle and he saw what was going on and he saw something that, he, that was worthy of him stepping up and doing something about. I mean, he saw all these guys on the sidelines on the hill and, and Goliath down there tempting and taunting um, their God and saying, who will send a man to come out and fight for, fight against me? And, and David's like, what are all these people? Do you think, and he, I'm sure he went around, I don't know. He went around, I was like, so do you think God can defeat this guy? Do you think God can defeat, what do you think their answer is going to be? They probably say, yeah. They're like, yeah, God can do it. That's good. Yeah, somebody should do that. And they all have this kind of sitting in the chair kind of faith. And he goes over to Saul, and he's like, so what are we going to do about this thing? He's like, well, something eventually, maybe. And David's like, is there not a cause? And he takes up his rocks, and he, they all talk to him like, you're crazy, and, and Goliath thinks it's crazy. But he saw something that was, he saw his God getting mocked, and he wanted the whole world to know that our God is not to be mocked. And he went out there, and he killed Goliath. With like God did not tell him to do that. He just went out and did it. And that's why I like that David's kind of put in here because I just I I know that God was looking down and saying, Yeah, David, go get him. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, please, that's my boy, David. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I'm gonna come along and assist you a little bit too. And we're gonna direct that stone into that guy's head, and all the world will know who I am. And so it is, it is this, it's not this clear command about what David was going to do. And not this, but all the rest of the army and all his brothers and all the king had this passive faith. But that's not the kind of faith that was pleasing to God. 
God was wanting to conquer the Philistines. God was wanting them to drive out the inhabitants of the land and all this kind of stuff. But he, wanted, he needed somebody who was going to have an, a, enough faith to do something about it. And he's still looking for that man today. All of us just sitting around and knowing all the right things and believing all the right things, but not getting up and doing anything. Um, the cause in world evangelism calls us to take a risk. It's risky for people to quit their jobs. It's risky for us to um, talk to our friends about Jesus. We're not exactly in a religion-friendly world these days, especially um, even after these recent events in Paris. I mean, I'm not a Muslim, but all religions get lumped into the same thing and says, yeah, it's a problem with the whole world. And so when we step out and say, I am a believer in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's risky. We risk losing our reputation, everybody thinking we're smart. We just get labeled as, as dumb people who believe in ancient tradition or something. And so it's risky for us to, to step out and to talk to our friends and be a bold witness among our community. Um, be labeled a Jesus freak or whatever, I don't know. I've never actually been labeled a Jesus freak. Maybe that happened in the 70s. Um, but also, David had no promise of protection. Uh, he didn't say, God didn't say, okay, go out there, David. Okay, David got there, and he didn't have a command, but David was like, okay, can I go? Am I going to be okay? Is everything going to work out? Is, am I going to shoot good? And God didn't say, yeah, everything's going to be all right. Just go ahead. He just, um, he just went. And later in this chapter, these people die at the point of a sword, but it is this kind of faith that is pleasing. It's, not, it's an active faith. It is a risky faith, but it is the faith that pleases God. Um, it makes God happy when he sees people willing to take a risk for him. Um, kind of makes earthly daddies happy, too. I was, just recently, I was, we have a little three-year-old daughter, and uh, you know how kids do the whole jumping into their daddy's arm thing? I wanted to try that, you know, because, you know, she's my oldest. She's finally able to jump a little bit. So I'm sitting on the couch, and she's standing on the ottoman. She sees another kid do it first, and so she's up there, and she's like all timid, and she's scared of everything in the world, but she's a little girl. And so she goes, and she's like, ah, and she's just like, I'm like, come on, and my, my hands are like, like this is her body, and my hands are like, come on, jump to daddy, and she's like, I don't know if I can do it, oh, oh I did it, you didn't see that, it's like, it was like that far, and so she's like, oh, daddy can catch me, and so she goes, and she does it again, and I'm like, I back up just a little bit more, and she goes, eh, and she like jumps just a little bit further and she's just like so excited and like her faith is building and so then she gets up there and she just like I'm not even looking anymore and she just gets up to the edge it's like as soon as she jumps down I set her down she runs back up on the ottoman she just jumps again and I'm like I'm watching the first couple times then I figure she's tired by now so I'm like looking over here and I see her flying through the air and I'm like oh and I like catch her I, she didn't hurt herself but it's it, it made me feel good, you know, because she was like, no matter what I do, dad's going to catch me. I've learned this so far because we started out with little baby steps, but now I'm just leaping into daddy's arms. And I, I mean, I should pay attention better, but it still made me happy. Like, I'm, ex I'm glad my daughter loves me and trusts me, and I want, 
I want that kind of relationship with my daughter. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. Where we just trust Him unabandonedly. Where we just leap into His arms. We just leap out on nothing except His promises. And He will come through for us. That's the thing that we don't, we don't understand sometimes. We're like, yeah, I would trust God, but I'm a little too scared because I don't think it's actually going to work out right. I don't think God's really going to come through. We wouldn't say that part of it. But that's what we're thinking in our hands, which, which really, does I say hands, thinking in our hands? That's what we're thinking in our heads, which is demonstrative that we really don't have the faith that we proclaim to have. And so that's what, that's the whole point of faith is when we are stepping out and doing something in it, and it is necessary to have faith. So it's necessary to become risk, people of risk-taking for the glory of God and for a cause that fits His purpose. So how is all of this possible? I just have a couple more minutes. So how is it possible to have this kind of faith that pleases God? Go back up to verse number 1. It is... By seeing things that are not. Um, Verse number one. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So we see things that are not. That doesn't mean we things that cannot be seen. It doesn't mean that things that don't exist. We see things that don't exist like weird ghosts or something. It's not that. It's but that we see things that are not. I could add the word yet there. We see things that aren't there yet. We see things that haven't happened yet. All we have is a promise about what is going to happen. Moses only had a promise about all the people coming out and being rescued from the, the Egypt. He had that promise, and he saw that in his mind. God explained that to him about what was going to happen, and then he stepped out and did something and then came back with it. But he, but he saw it first. And it would be, if, we, if our conclusion was that these things cannot be seen, not that they're not just not seen yet, we would miss the whole point of the passage because the whole passage is full of people seeing stuff. So um, if I mean, we see uh, eight, where were we at? We say Noah seeing the ark. We see Abraham seeing the land by the promise. We see... Um, all, just all these people. See the flood coming. See the future city that God had promised. See the promises of the Exodus coming and the invisible God in verse 27. It's the, but the idea is that we see with eyes of faith that we don't see, see things with eyes of faith that we don't see with normal eyes. Um, but the eyes of faith see them quite clearly. That see and look and saw is woven all throughout this chapter. But faith allows us to treat the invisible as, you can, as if you can see it and treat the future as if it is now. Um, if you're in the business world, or this isn't a concept lost to the rest of the world. Everybody's always talking about vision and uh, having your, a plan and goals and all this kind of stuff. You know what that is? That is seeing things that aren't yet and acting on them as if they are going to be and taking steps of faith leading towards something that you want to be a reality and work in a plan to get there. And it's the same thing that God calls us to do. But he's the one who sets our goals. And he's the one who tells us what he's wanting to do. And he's the one who has a plan to build a church and to reach this world with the gospel. And we're just the ones responsible to act like that's really going to happen and be involved in that work. 
And so um, my question for you is what will you see? What vision inside of world evangelism did God give you to inspire you to take these risky steps of faith? You know, when I go to Thailand, when I land in Thailand, and I'm talking to Thai people, they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm here to start a church. They're like, a what? They have no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, so is that, so you're ta- they have an idea of a Catholic church, like those big, fancy, ornate things. They're like, you're going to build one of those? I'm like, not really. It's just going to be little. They, have, they just don't know. But as a, as a missionary going over there to plant a church, I know what a church looks like. I know what it looks like to have people gather together around the Word in worship and loving and serving and, and loving one another and discipling one another and getting around His Word and, and growing together in faith and truth and unity. I know what a church looks like. And so I, I see that in Thailand, even though it's not there yet. Even though I just finished language school, even though I'm, I'm just about to rent the first building, I see what's going to happen because God is, I've seen it in America, first of all, but I also know how God works. I know that God saves people. I know that even though they are so messed up in their thinking and so messed up in all their superstitious beliefs and, and wild, crazy, contradictory things that they think, I know that if I take this word and I just explain it line upon line and precept upon precept and here little and there little, then I just share that God's spirit works and he saves people and he loves people and he gathers people around into a church. And so I go on that on that confidence that I know God is going to use us and work to build a church. You see what I'm saying? Like, I've never raised money for a church before. I've never, like, I'm trying, we're, we're, we're trying to raise money, whatever. Long story short, we're trying to raise money to build a church. I, it seems like an enormous amount of money, but I'm like, well, here goes nothing. I don't know what's going to happen. I, we're trying to raise money. That's, I don't like, God, please send us, I don't know how it's going to happen. We're just, we're just like, okay, that's good. And when we um, are trying to, we're, we're trying to disciple people, if you bring it down to a, like a one-on-one level, like you, you sit down with somebody and you, they're somebody who's all messed up and what, I mean, everybody's weird and messed up in their lives. There are all kinds of different kinds of mistakes and problems. And we sit down across from them and we open the Bible. We're like discipleship lesson number one. And we just know something's about to happen. We know that their life is about to get changed. We know that their eyes are about to be like wowed. They're like, oh. did y'all ever see that? When you decide, when you sit and you explain the truths of the gospel and it really starts to click with people and their eyes are just like, are you serious? It is awesome. And then just start bawling their eyes out. We see all that happening before it even happens because it's happened to us. And that's, that's, the kind of, that's the eyes of faith that God wants us to have. Say, what could be done? What could be done in God's kingdom? What could be done to accomplish something in God's work? And then we step out like God's actually going to use us. We step out like God is actually going to work. So I would say, maybe you don't have a lot of ideas. I would say seek God for a vision for your role in this world evangelism. You don't just want to like... Um, just come up with any idea and be like, yeah, I'm going to go risk my life for that. Maybe you should get a little of counsel and talk to somebody and you, you know, use some wisdom. That comes into play here too. That's one of those things that enhance the Christian life. But, so I would talk to people and I would get counsel and advice, but I would dream a little bit. I would say, what can I do? What can I be involved in? You're like, that's too risky. Well, so maybe you need to take a little bit of risks. 
dream a little bit because you'll never be able to do the impossible until you see the invisible through eyes of faith. And the greatest example of faith is Jesus himself. If we finish chapter 12 or 11 and go into chapter 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. It's all these guys that, have, that are witnesses to God comes through on his promises. They're witnesses that God is faithful. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the one that we are trusting in the one that we love, the one who has made the promises to us. And we look unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. And so we look to Jesus, and we, we see who he was and what he did. He he endured such contradiction of sinners against us. He endured the cross. Jesus was not excited about dying on the cross. It says he endured the cross because he saw something beyond the cross about what the cross would accomplish in saving this world and building a church. And we do the same. We see beyond the difficulties and the circumstances and problems that are going to come up in this in, in accomplishing what God wants us to do. And he looked beyond with eyes of faith and saw not the joy of the cross, but the joy of what the cross would accomplish. And now he sits on his throne having redeemed his own and looks at us for what we are going to attempt and accomplish for him and his glory. And um, I would say step out in faith for him. You know, you risk a lot of things, embarrassment and ridicule and persecution and death, but even these guys here at the end of the chapter, verse, uh, you know, it's all, it's all happy stuff, all the way down to about verse number 36. And then it talks about these guys. They had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings and moreover, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment and they were stoned and they were sawn asunder and they were tempted and slain with a sword and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and being destitute, afflicted and tormented. Um, that's probably was not in these guys' five-year plan. That's probably not, they probably... Her day was probably not planned. I'm like, okay, well, today I'm going to try something risky and get sawn asunder. That's, that's my plan. That probably, I mean, so I can't stand up here and say anything you accomplish, you try for God is going to work out great and your life is going to be wonderful and it's all going to just be great. Because sometimes God has a bigger plan. There's something that we don't understand. I don't think these guys probably even understood it. But they were... They made it in the chapter, and God's pleased with them, but they were getting sawn in half. But I can imagine, they're laying there, and they're about to get sawn in half. They risked something for him that didn't work out as they planned, but they died in faith, and they died in great anguish, and it didn't work out like they planned. But they closed their eyes, in pain. What is the next thing that they see when they open their eyes? 
they see Jesus on the right hand of the Father. And he's probably standing up like he did for Stephen, saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. I am pleased with that. And whatever happens with my life, whether I get to be Moses or whether I'm this guy getting sawn in half, I want God to be pleased with my life because this is just temporary. And that's going to be eternal. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We want you to be pleased.